0: Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. We help you build a thriving creative practice. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's get into today's episode. Hey, if you're stuck on your creative journey and you feel like you've hit a ceiling, sometimes it's because you need to Level up your skills and knowledge. And Skillshare is there for you. Go to Skillshare.com slash Creative for two free months of Skillshare. They have classes in illustration, design, business, writing, everything you need to take it to the next level in your creative journey. Recently, I've been diving into Aaron Draplin's new class on making merch this guy this is a master class on merch making oh, so much of what i know about merch was inspired by draplin in the first place and this class is next level hilarious and, and heartfelt and and so many good things in there go check it out skillshare.com slash creative pep to get two free months thanks skillshare this episode is also brought to you by you we usually have two sponsors on this show, but right now in the crisis that we find ourselves in, we have a, a lean lineup for sponsors. We had some sponsors bow out. And so uh, we're up in our Patreon game. If you're in a place where for whatever reason you have a secure financial state and you want to help support this podcast so we can keep going at the highest level, go to patreon.com slash Talk, and you can back Uh, You can be a financer for this podcast per episode. Uh, If you're not, and if if finances are dicey and you don't know where things are going, forget it. We're here to help you get in a better spot financially. But if you're in a place where you can help out and you want to help us take it to the next level, we're about halfway to our goal of getting to 500 patrons. Uh, You guys have already blown up this thing in recent weeks as we started these goals to get 500 patrons and unlock transcripts and an online community for creative pep talk and some other goodies um so thank you for already coming out we need to keep going we're going to be doing on, doing this mission for the next six months or so um so go check it out patreon.com slash creative pep talk thanks to everybody that already came out and uh have really um supported the podcast in this crazy time really appreciate you Thanks. All right, so I'm in the studio of my car, actually my my minivan. Um because we're stuck at home with uh, three children. So I'm sat here in my car, it's the only quiet place I could find um just to give you a little intro. This is an Ask Dr. Pizza episode. I wanted to do an episode because I see so many concerns that are the same. I feel like so many creative people are going through the same kinds of things. I put out a call for questions for an Ask Dr. Pete's episode. And rather than address specific questions, because I started to see these really specific patterns, I just created the four buckets, four questions that everybody seems to be asking themselves. And, uh, and we're going to go through that and I did it over the internet f- proper social distancing practice with my, uh, agency co-founder coat for co-loop Ryan Appleton. He helped me, uh, he, he, became the guest host and and posed these questions to me and we had a really deep discussion about finding hope and motivation and grace most importantly in this very very difficult time I think you're gonna like it I think you're gonna get a lot out of it without further ado here is Ask Dr. Pizza
1: Yeah, the first kind of bucket, a little bit existential, I guess, is just this kind of really overarching question of what should I be doing right now? Should I be working? Should I be doing a side project? Is it about hustling? Is it about resting? Should I be doing nothing at all? Like what, what should I be considered, uh, you know, a sense of accomplishment or should I be taking this time to just kind of reflect?
0: Yeah, I, this, this came from a bunch of different places, but I kept getting this energy of the should, should I be making stuff, hustling, taking advantage of all this space and, and what have you, or should it, should I not be doing anything? Is it wrong to be concerning myself with creativity or my career or, you know, just over and over and over, there were so many. Probably the most questions were concerning what should I be doing right now, and I wanted to address that one right out the gate because I've been thinking about this term "should" and how I believe in inherently within its definition is this idea of someone imposing their values on you. What anytime you're feeling like, what should I be doing? Who is who's uh, that? That's never about. What, what your own values and thinking about what do i believe in what what do i feel compelled to do that's a totally different energy than Should, should always implies someone else's judgment on me deciding what's right to do and what's wrong to do. And I feel like we're, so many of us are feeling whatever we're choosing to do, we're feeling the weight and the guilt of everybody else's should. And so right, right from the start, I want to just speak to this idea of, I believe that the fire of a crisis is the ideal uh, purifier, for your own core values to get to I feel like when there's a crisis it's time to let go of all the ways that you're letting other people's values determine your actions and allow that fire to purify whatever isn't you. You know, there were times early on in this podcast where there was a good season about a year in and I was really panicking about you know, every week coming out with all these thoughts that I had to stand behind and and really, you know, choosing to share what I believed on the deepest levels. And uh, and at some point, that pressure—it's that you know Adam Garcia thing of uh, you know uh, the pressure. What is it? Do you know? Do you remember what this is? The pressure is good for you, but it's this idea that pressure no, makes diamonds. Um, but it's this that purifying energy of my the dark days and the early podcast, um, it, it it created a, a purifying thing where all of the shoulds, all of the values that I had that I was holding on to that weren't true to me, but I was carrying other people's burdens, it forced me to put them down. And I feel like the, that's the first thing I want to say.
1: So j- The shoulds being this outside perception or the outside expectations on what you, you know, quote unquote, should be doing. So the perception of others on, and how that reflects on you or your perception of what others think of you. And so when you're saying that the early days of the podcast, there were some dark days. Is that because you were kind of lost in those expectations of others?
0: Yeah, I think that there was that. And then I think there was also... Uh, it's a, I think the purifying process is a bit painful. So the other thing that happened was it, as I was there on a weekly basis, publishing my beliefs out in public, I started to realize that a lot of my identity was built on shoulds built on other people's perceptions and impressions and, and, and values, and that I couldn't show up every week and communicate what they wanted me to believe. Does that make sense? So I had this tension of like, if I say this on the show, my friend Bob's gonna know that I completely disagree with him, but I've never confronted him about it. You know, like there was just all these, uh, this the purifying of everything melting away that was impure, that wasn't true to what I actually believed. And I think when things get dicey and serious, all of a sudden, that's when we find the courage to embrace our real truth. And so for me, instead of thinking, what should I be doing? I would be running to how do I get in touch with my own real values, my own true why, and how that relates to why do we need creativity? Why do we need art? Because for a long time, you know, I, I started do a creative career, Because I wanted a way to make money and be a dad and and a contributor to society that didn't crush my soul. So it was really motivated by finances early on of like, I've got to make money somehow somehow, and I don't want to do it sat in a cubicle. So what, you know, what can I do? And I thought, well, I can kind of draw. Um, And so that's, that was my early motivation. But at some point when I really hit a brick wall and I was in that dark night of the soul and those purifying times early in my career, uh, I realized that this is what the vlog brothers call uh, dirty fuel is that that motivation just wasn't enough to get me through the dark times. And I had to reach deeper into truer, more existential, fundamental values. And so I feel like so many people right now are going through this thing of like, does it even matter? Who gives a shit about creativity, about art and, and whatever? And I think that if you will pull on that thread long enough and get to the bottom of it, you can actually start to build a much firmer foundation for why creativity is one of the only reasons to be alive. Um, And if you start building that foundation that's beyond the shoulds, that's beyond the burdens put on you by others, you will start to find a deeper, purer fuel that will actually go beyond this crisis. Uh, Does that make sense?
1: Absolutely. So this is essentially the same question, but I'm gonna rephrase it in just a way, a different way to get your perspective on it. What would you say to someone asking, What should I be doing in relation to uh, the other artists, the other peers that I see? I see, you know, friend A and B or peer, you know, C and D creating all of this content now. Like, what would you say to the person that is doing that compare?
0: Yeah, the first thing I would say is um, my therapist recommended I checked out this uh, thought leader therapist, um, Esther Perel. And she just so happened to be one of the most recent guests on Tim Ferriss's podcast. You you should all go check that out. It's really helpful. Um, and actually, in the show notes, I'm going to list a few podcasts that from experts, um, whether it's Zen Buddhist or uh, there's a guy who's an expert on grief that was on Brené Brown's podcast. And then this Esther Perel one that, that really helped me kind of ground myself in my thinking here. And one of the things she talks about is in times of grief, which is what we're all kind of going through, grieving what the world was, um, and, and what it's going to be that we didn't expect it to be and all the plans that we had and just all the different and, and people that were losing, like just a huge season of grief. And, um, uh, Esther Perel was talking about how, you know, statistically tons of marriages dissolve after the loss of a child. And it's often not about the loss of the child, but it's about the judgment of how the other partner grieves. Because it's not how they grieve, and there's multiple types of how to grieve, and and she said that you know there's really uh, there's a bunch of different reactions to what we're going through right now, but one of them is um, I need routine. I need to keep. Uh, as much normalcy as possible. And, you know, that's how some people are dealing with the grief. The other side of it is I need to just shut everything down to the most basics. I can barely do those. I don't need the schedule. I don't need the pressure of all the other things from my normal life. And what we see is every side of that is judging the other person. And saying that's not how you grieve, and so I think that when you come to that comparison thing, that's and that's why I wanted to start with this is I wanted to erase that should. That should is the, the the judgmental gaze of the other, and you're and if by tearing that down and realizing like, okay, how do I need to grieve? How do I need to get through this? And actually, for me, I think that I do. I am the type that needs to keep with the routine, keep uh, doing my thing keep making stuff. And actually I was lucky enough right from the get-go of this thing that I had a pressing deadline because if I hadn't, I might've not, I'm quick to abandon my routine and it's really self-sabotage because as an ADHD person, it's one of the only things keeping me passable as a human. So, um, so, and I, you know, I've done a bunch of other things other than just the routine, but it, that is Really, my safe space. So, I does that make sense? I think judging each other's grieving process is as soon as you notice that internal thing happening, um, and you're comparing, you're getting into this thing that's saying there's one way to be a person in any scenario, and we all know that's just garbage.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like you very much have uh, you have found your own way to grieve, right? You've kept with your routine. You continue working on dead deadlines. You've continued to produce the podcast, and. The recommendation is, you know, uh, other artists, um, people, the creative pepperonis, people listening to the podcast should find their own unique way to grieve and not worry about both the perception of others, but also perceiving how others are grieving and judging that as well or comparing and and contrasting on what they're doing versus what others are doing. I
0: think that uh, the maybe the takeaway there is just have a radar for when am I getting into judgment of uh, how other people are grieving versus uh, how I do and then also the the self-awareness to maybe look back to other times of grief in your life and say what were the things that helped me bring meaning to this David Kessler was on uh, Brene Brown's podcast and he's he did some some of the fundamental work on the stages of grief and uh, that we're all familiar with and he actually lost uh, one of his children and he has this deep intimate connection to grief and he talks about um, you know, What are your, how are you going to grieve? How are you not, not, you know, he makes a really interesting distinction between not making the coronavirus in this situation meaningful, not by not making the virus meaningful, but bringing meaning to this time because it's your job to make meaning of it. And so I I think that um, I think how you looking back and seeing how you brought meaning to different grief periods in your life is probably a good tool here. Um, but I'm not a doctor. Go listen to David Kessler. He knows more than I do on that. I will speak to um, two... Fundamental core values on creativity that are that I'm going back to right now. So one is meaning making. I don't believe creativity is the pursuit of new things, novel things, thing the world has never seen. I think the purpose of creativity is to bring meaning to life and experience. Is how do we um, how do we tell stories and, and create a narrative that gives our life purpose and meaning? Because I think I agree with. Uh, Uh, Viktor Frankl, who would say that that is our primary objective on this planet. And so if, if in this place of grief, what we need to do is make meaning, then nobody is more important than the artist because it's the poet and the, and the songwriter and the, and the filmmaker. And all those are the people that help us ground us in narrative, ground us in, Uh, our community and and what we mean and matter to each other and how we provide value for each other. Um, So so my first uh, core value with creativity is about meaning making. And then the second one is, which I think is, I did a little research about it, um, is this idea of embrace escapism. That was a T-shirt that Jean Julian made back in the day. We both worked for the same T-shirt company, and I was too dumb, like out of college, to. I just thought it sounded cool. I didn't even think about how it was like an oxymoron. <laughs> it took me forever to like get it, but um, embrace escapism. And uh, and I think that you know they did this study uh, where they were checking children's pain levels during a blood test and they distracted some of the kids and they didn't distract others and the distracted ones had lower levels of pain and i think when it comes to uh when it's a waiting game when you're just like we got to get through this thing one of the best tools is escapism and i and i put this uh i found this post on it's we, we The Urban on Instagram, and it says, as you binge watch your 10th Netflix series or read a book or sleep to music, remember that in the darkest days, when everything stopped, you turn to artists. And so we get to be the thing distracting the kids from the blood test. We get to be the people that are helping people wait this out. And I think that there is some healthy level of escapism that Creators can provide, and it means that art is more valuable now than it ever has been.
1: Uh, a, a dirty question, maybe, uh, a hot, sensitive subject, money. So with everything going on in the world right now, the craziness of the current circumstances, how can I be creative and, and with my practice and still make money? What if I've been laid off or lost my job? What if freelance work has slowed? What do I do now to continue to make money and, and make sure you know this is viable for the long term? Once we're on the other side of this,
0: you know, a lot of artists are uh, need to make money right now. They need to figure out how do they're going to pay their bills. And you know, I have friends that their whole uh, their whole career is based on in-person public speaking, and so their whole rug is just ripped out from under them and they've got to figure out creative new ways of making money and, and, uh, and getting by in this time. And, you know, it reminded me, it made me look back. in when I, when I graduated, it was straight into the recession. And, uh, you know, for like nine months I was making more money every month than I made the previous month on illustration. And it I was like, gaining all this momentum, bought a house, moved to the other side of the world, spent my savings, got the big job, like used it all to move back to the States and, uh, and then didn't get any jobs for like six to eight months, no matter what I did, like nothing worked. And I was in, uh, you know, our cupboards, I had a kid, uh, we got married and we were, I had bill collectors calling me and I had, uh, you know, we had an empty cupboards. Like it was, It was really bad, a bad situation. And I was uh, freaking out, you know, as someone who also probably especially then had an unhealthy attachment to success in terms of my personal worth. Not only was it just a really bad situation, I also just felt like a complete and utter failure. I just felt like I am, you know, uh, people that are familiar with this podcast will know A huge motivator for me from early on is I don't want to be like my mom who, and my point of view at that time was this person's a deadbeat. She can't keep a job. She, you know, she's inconsistent. And I just felt like, well, destiny has called and I'm (laughs) I'm exactly like her and I, I've totally failed. And, uh, it was again in that pressure point, which is not unlike, it's not the same. I think this is a much crazier situation, but it reminds me of that time. And what it, what happened was uh, it forced me to be an entrepreneur and I, and not just a creative person. And so what I ended up doing was figuring out, you know, new plans of creating my own uh, income stream. So at that time, I had published the Indie Rock Coloring Book and I had this coloring book thing. And I came up with an idea where I would make a, a Columbus, Indiana, Coloring book because I lived in Columbus, Indiana, not Columbus, Ohio, uh, at the time, and uh, and I came up with this idea and I pitched this local organization on how we could partner together and maybe get a sponsor for each page of the coloring book from a different business and put their logo on there and we create this Columbus coloring book and I'd get paid three hundred bucks a page um, to to buy this and we'd split some amount of money and um, that was one of my first experiences with being not just a creative but an entrepreneur and so that would be the first thing I would say is how can is this a time like I feel like for the uh, all the way up leading to that I was trying to avoid business at all costs I was like how can I you know just be so ridiculously creative that I won't have to worry about the business side and and there came a time where it was like, no, you're not going to survive without putting on this entrepreneur hat. And I started thinking of stuff like that. I also started, you know, kind of hitting the pavement, so to speak, of sending my secret PDF of design work that wasn't on my website, you know, like... Drop shadow shit is what I'm talking. Um, and I just had like, you know, everything that the local businesses wanted. And I started sending that um, secret PDF to all of my friends that worked at agencies. And I started, uh, you know, emailing people like my parents, uh, their church. I knew needed a bunch of design work and I emailed the person there and I started, I was on retainer for like two years, like a very low amount of money, but it covered like three bills every month. It was when I quit isolating my creativity to my work, uh, my, my art and started to be creative in my business. So I started to think of, you know, create my own opportunities and that, that actual, uh, crucible of pain ended up changing my mindset for good. I, I ended up seeing that, oh, like I dove into the world of business and realized that, most of the most successful business people are creative people, people that can come up with opportunities and make stuff happen by their own strategy and ideation. Uh, and I started to change the way that I saw myself. And so that's the first thing I would say is, is there a way that you can start to change the way that you see yourself, start to change the way that you see how creativity works and where it belongs. Cause I don't think it just belongs in your creative practice, your creative work, but your whole creative practice, including your business. Um, and then also just like, are you, you know, the, the other thing that happened there was there was an ego death is like, you know, at the time I had published a book right out of college and I had worked with, um, some dream clients and, um, and I had to get to this place where I had to email all of my friends from school and stuff like, hey, do you have any like crappy logo jobs I could do? Like, and it was just like, how do it was just survival mode. It wasn't about thriving. It was about surviving. And I think right. that that mindset shift was really uh, powerful.
1: So this, this kind of goes back to, uh, you know, a core, uh core value of CoLoop that we don't have to dive into um, extensively. But I think there's something interesting in in pulling some threads on what you were saying of diverse creative content, right? Looking at your creative practice and your creativity in general, strategically to determine, you know, it's not just, um, quote unquote, the art, like you mentioned, it's not just the illustration, it's not just the lettering I'm producing, there's all these other avenues in in which I can produce creatively that maximize my revenue streams. It, It ensures I have passive income or just diverse areas in which I can continue to generate money if one of these starts to ebb and flow.
0: Absolutely. So that goes to our core value of, you know, one of the things we do with the agency is every artist that we put on the roster, we put there primarily because they have such an extreme sense of their artistic voice. And in my mind, their artistic voice is really the animating force behind everything that you do. You know, I think there comes a time in your creative career where you got to pick a lane for a minute, develop your craft, you know, as Ira Glass says, bridge the gap between your taste and your actual work, like your ability to produce stuff. Um, And I I think that phase is usually about, you know, uh, learning to talk rather with your voice rather than having something to say, so to speak. And I feel like, you know, you're hitting on this idea of like, can you get past the, how you do things that, which is your style and get into not just what you're making, which is your craft, but why you're making it. What is the deeper essence of who you are and how could that be applied in new ways that you hadn't expected that can maybe pay, pay the bills. And I, and I want to speak to, there's a few ideas that I've seen just tactics and, and such um, things like uh, you know, I've seen people do online concerts where they have donations from Venmo. I've seen people do online conferences that where they sell tickets or they take donations. There's uh, digital products that I've seen people create. Uh, another one is Patreon. We did, a, we've upped our, um, Patreon game a little bit recently because we've had some sponsors bow out and things been a little bit lean on that side. Uh, and, and, and I wanted to speak to the Patreon thing because I think a lot of people think things like Kickstarter or Patreon are just like easy money like that will save all you know that'll solve all of my problems i'll get on patreon and you know people just like my general vibe so they'll just start giving me money and i and i don't think that's the case and in fact i think one thing to be thinking about through all of this stuff is working with language and not against it so um there's a talk by jeff mcfetridge uh he did for the do lectures back in the day and it was all about why he calls himself a graphic designer and he was saying it was because uh, it's like Houdini called himself a magician, although he wasn't a mag- magician, but he used that language because it was a container that people understood. And there was a budget for those kinds of things. And we, we went into the same issue. We have this show called color me where we do these giant black and white murals. And then people come in and color it with giant markers, me and my buddy, Andrew Nair. Um, And we called it an exhibit for a long time. And we got into all this trouble because no art gallery had a budget to bring an exhibit. They had a budget to ship art. They had a budget to paint the walls white, but they didn't have a budget to pay artists to come put on something and we couldn't afford to do it any other way. And so we realized we're not going to call it an exhibit. We'll call it an event because all these companies have, event budgets, they're just sitting there waiting in the, in the cup, and the container of the language, it really doesn't matter, but I think you got to work with it. And so for me, you know, Patreon works really well with podcasts. And I think it has something to do with the existing cup of radio shows being publicly funded. So we're, a lot of people are used to giving NPR money, a lot of, you know, we're, we're, this is something we're familiar with. And so I would just encourage you as you're coming up with creative ways of making money and paying, uh, you know, uh, paying your bills in this time to work with language and not against it. Maybe there's even just some new ways that you could brand what you do. Uh, maybe you're an illustrator, but you call yourself a designer. Like that's some uh, marketing magic that could work in your favor. Um, and so I wouldn't, I wouldn't rail against it.
1: I think that's, I think that's great advice. I think leveraging language, you know, determining what cup you're presenting to people, even though the coffee may be the same. I think that is really important. And then who knows, you're offering. 12 different kinds of coffee cups, but everyone that wants coffee is coming to get a drink. So,
0: yeah, same essence, but a kind of weird analogy mixture between the artist voice and the coffee thing is like the essence, yeah. it's all the same. The why, the animating, like that's the thing I've realized over the time, over time, is people get hung up on, are you a podcaster, an illustrator? Like, what, you know, what's going on with this thing? And I'm like, well, I come, I bring the same energy to everything I make. It, I put in whatever cup you like to drink from, that's fine, and I'll we'll figure it out. The exhibit's the same either way, you know,
1: absolutely. I mean, you're obviously an illustrator, you're authoring books, you're a public speaker, you're producing a podcast, but you don't need to definitively be only one of those things, they're all an expression of your creative voice,
0: absolutely. And then on top of that, I can realize that. Uh, You know, what are the terms that help me not manipulate, but communicate? to the right people at the right time it's not about putting a putting your essence in a cup that pulls the wool over somebody's eyes it's about putting it in a cup that's attractive and, and makes sense to them and they're familiar with and they feel good about and so that's I, that's something i would encourage people to start thinking about is your marketing position in the world by the language that you use and i think a lot of creative creative people you know we really just desperately want that hot pure creative energy we want to just pour it in people's hands raw like Give it to them raw. You know what I mean. Like, don't label me. Don't put me in a cup. i are like, well, you know, all language is a symbol. Like, go into the philosophy of like postmodernism, and they're all, you know, disconnected. Of like, you know, a tree is never a tree. A tree is that thing over there that we call a tree. And you're just like, give me a break, okay? We need to get we need to get some stuff done. Uh, don't get so hung up on you know what cup you put it in.
1: One last question on the topic of money. What would you say to people feeling shame or feeling a sense of guilt when they're, they're not taking a hit currently in their creative career and they're still continuing to work with clients and earn the same amount of money and revenue from their practice, but they definitely have the awareness and, and perception that other people are being very negatively impacted?
0: Yeah, I love that. I, and actually, this is something that's been on our minds. We've talked about it a bit. One of the things I think that if you're in that situation and you're feeling that pain and that or that shame, I would start to ask yourself, are there ways that you can give back? One of the things we did was we gave away five little mini coaching recordings to uh people that attended our cancel con live talk and i've been also brainstorming behind the scenes and and i'm planning to kind of ask people ask the community you know how can we help what topics do you need what what resources do you need you know whatever and so i do think there's a herd mentality thing going on where it's like i'm actually okay just being an introvert reading doing my work Like, you know, getting by, it's uncomfortable, but whatever. And I think that if there is that nagging thing where you feel like I'm in a privileged position, I do think it's uh, a great idea to say, how can I give back? And we've been thinking through that. And one of the ways, you know, I didn't feel undue pressure to put out podcasts every week of the quarantine, but I definitely, you know, like I told you, I was struggling on a massive deadline. Putting out podcasts consistently has been, kind of painful for me, but it was one thing that I felt, uh, happy to do, you know, the burden in a, I accepted the burden of, I know every, all of the listeners are going through a whole, uh, laundry list of different terrible feelings. And one of the things that I can do is show up. And so, you know, that was within my, I had to do some really early mornings and, and, and some weird hustle, but, Um, it was the least I could do for the way that my community has been there for me over the past six years.
1: Just showing up and continuing to produce the podcast and offer that to your audience is a way that you were able to give back in in light of everything. And I know other creatives, you know, on on the roster, but creatives in the community as a whole are finding unique ways to give back or offer their products or their services, you know, in, in a very altruistic way, you know, free of charge or to the right people or brands that are able to able to leverage those during this. So that is a way you can kind of uh, deter that guilt, knowing that you're also giving back while you're still continuing to thrive in in your practice.
0: Yep, and I I would also uh, bring up something I talked about on Instagram not long ago was something I heard Russell Brand talking about, which was, you know when you're feeling the void and you're feeling the the you know that existential dread and you're tempted to reach for superficial pleasure to make yourself happy because you're like i gotta i gotta feed this thing uh if you will train your mind to realize that often the 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 way to fill yourself up is to actively serve others and so that's another thing that i think even your mental health will benefit in this really trying time for our mental health going out of your way to do something meaningful and mattering to other people, however, whatever your gift is, whatever you, whatever you can do will actually have a net positive to your own survival in this time. And that's something I've experienced too, is I, you know, the first couple of weeks, I think it was, I started, um, I, you know, I was getting really consumed with negativity and all kinds of, uh, uh, issues. And I just started um reaching out to some of the Patreon backers that have been around I didn't actually <laughs> I didn't actually plan on telling people this but it's just a it's an example of something that helped me was I I went back through some of the Patreon backers that have been with us for years and I and I looked through their work and I just sent them a little recording you know 10 to 15 minutes of Here's all the things I love. Here's what I would do if I was in your situation. I think you have this opportunity. You know, you could shift some of your strategy there. You could create that, you know. And I did like four or five of those. And I really got uh I I really got reflective about it before I recorded in those, created a bunch of notes and had some creative breakthroughs about how these people could be leveraging their situation. Um, and I sent out four or five of those and got some really heartfelt responses of, man, I can't believe it's just a, it's a lovely thing to pay attention to somebody when anybody gives you some attention, Absolutely. it's just, so oh, freaking. And they all really just it hit home for them uh, and they really appreciated the attention. And so, yeah, even just paying, not even money, paying attention to somebody, giving them some of that, boom, that can, man, we're so desperate for attention for somebody to just look at us and see us and to creatively spend some time on that, you know, that's that can be that that not just good for their mental health, but can definitely top you up as well. A little shout out to our sponsors, Skillshare. You know, for me so many of looking back, I can see like these big inflection points that happen in my creative career and they almost all came with some upgrade of my knowledge. You know, when I started this podcast, I had to learn a lot about hosting and, and recording and audio and it, and it was just a ton of, uh, uh, you know, upgrade in my gray matter And uh, my brain. And same goes for when I learned to draw digitally instead of just analog. And there's just these points, these inflection points that they were all right before or right after I learned something new. And if you want to take your creative journey to the next level, there is so much incredible information on Skillshare.com. So many of my favorite artists have classes there. People like Tamy Coker, Aaron Draplin, DKNG, Lauren Hom. Go check it out. Skillshare.com slash to get two free months today. Also, quick shout out to Patreon backers. If you are a Patreon backer of this show, you are making this happen right now. Like I've said before, we're leaning on the sponsorship game right now. Everybody, you know, a lot of these businesses are, uh, you know, holding back and you are currently the lifeblood. So just to want to give you guys a huge shout out. Thank you for being there for the show and helping us to produce this thing at the highest level possible. You guys are great. If you want to go back the show per episode, go to patreon.com slash creative pep talk, and you can also become a producer of the show. Thank you so much.
1: To the next bucket, the, the overarching question people are dealing with, uh, the fear of the future. So what does the future look like on the other side of this pandemic? How do I account for it? There's no rule book. There's no crystal ball. Like what? what does my creative practice look like once we're on the other side?
0: Yeah. And uh, I'm just going to be Nostradamus here for a minute. (laughs) I have no idea. I don't know. It's not going to be the same. I think we all know that. It's not going to be the same. That's for sure. Uh, I had someone ask a question about, you know, basically saying, are illustrators even going to be a thing after this? And I think that that's a, a reasonable fear. I think we're all feeling like, When the dust settles, when something this unexpected happens, you have to go into, everything is out of my control, and therefore all of the plans that I had could be obsolete. And that is true. There is a degree in which I think grappling with the reality of how out of control we are, there's actually, you know, there's a humbling thing that can happen from that. But... I did um, Mary Gaspar art. She goes by on Instagram. I'd mention this on another episode, but I want to dive deeper into it because I did some research. Um, she had mentioned, early on in the quarantine that the Renaissance was born from the Black Death. came like right after that. And so I started researching it, and from what I can tell, it actually was the seeds of the Renaissance started right within the plague of the black death like it it was happening the first fruits of that was were happening right there and i started reading about why people why did we why do historians think that was and it was because there was this uh, you know when everything goes out of control all of a sudden the people this is part of it uh, all of a sudden the people that are saying they're in control the people in authority all of a sudden, lose all their authority. And so there was all this questioning of authority when they were going through there. There was this um, turning to art for solace and meaning, like trying to figure out what the heck is going on when everything looks chaotic and meaningless. And then all, they were also turning to art for pleasure, just like life's pleasures, figuring out how are we going to get through this? How are we going to, you know, we, life is short. How are we going to make it meaningful with, you know, uh, you know all the arts? Um, and then there was a bunch of social mobility that was unprecedented. So like, after the it kind of leveled the playing field for everybody, and all of a sudden, like lots of people that were serfs became nobility, and it was just friggin' it was crazy, and it just shook everything up, right? But what it did was it got everybody back to the fact that you know the thing that Churchill says, where he was like, I don't know if this is true or not, but it's like folklore now of um, you know, they say. Sir, we have to cut the arts to make you know more money for the war, and he's like, If we do that, then what's the point of fighting? Like, you know, the whole freaking thing I don't know what the actual quote
1: is, but was a perfect <laughs> Winston Churchill impression.
0: <laughs> um, I could have, you know, John Lithgow, I could have embodied it. Um, he's from the crown, he plays a good, good Winston Churchill, um, but um. This whole idea of like, I strongly believe, you know, back to that quote of like, remember that in the darkest days when everything stopped, we turned to artists, I have a deep conviction that we are going to see another renaissance right out of the back of this because everybody has been so in tune with the only thing keeping us alive, the only thing keeping our spirit sparked is creativity that's making meaning out of this. And there's so much shakeup that's going to happen. And like I said before, like nothing's going to go back to normal, but do we really want it to? And I don't, I don't know if you've, I think everybody, I don't know if you've been on Twitter in the past five years, but there's some deep discontent and unrest about the state of the world. And so, yes, I would never wish upon our species, what's going on, but there is going to be a shakeup. There is going to be a reminder of what matters and what's meaningful. Um, and, and, and I think that um, we're, we're going to see a higher value put on creativity than we did going into this.
1: I, I very much share that conviction. I think I've been falling back on that um, underlying sense of optimism myself personally. There is a fear of the unknown, and that's very understandable. There there shouldn't be this definitive the unknown is bad or the unknown should be scary because when we come out on the other side, what we then face, if the world has changed, and I very much think it will be, could be for the better. Yeah,
0: it could be for the better. And then on top of that, it also kind of reminds me of what you see uh, – you know, when, when Detroit goes bankrupt and all the artists move in there and they do, you know, that's like, uh, I heard, uh, Rob Bell, this is one of my all time favorite ideas, like top five. He talks about the Genesis story from ancient scripture, Judaism and Christianity where, uh, the you know, it's, it's about the creation story and there's chaos in the universe. And it says that, uh, you know, the spirit hovers above the chaos and it's the spirit, the creator spirit. And his point is every time there's chaos, the spirit of creativity is hovering above it because there's this there in the chaos. That is like, that's where new connections happen. That's where new things happen. That's where creative things are birthed. And I feel like in the aftermath of this, like, It's just going to be like Detroit going bankrupt. The artists are going to swoop in and they're going to be making new connections and making new things happen. And if anything, I think there's going to be some raw material that we hadn't seen in our lifetime for creatives to make a difference and and show us what we could be next. And I think that's what happened in the Renaissance.
1: I very much am agreeing with you, but what would you say to the people that say, Um, that's great. You know, when we come out on the other side of this, there's going to be a renaissance, you know, hit, maybe history has proven that I, I believe that point to be true, but what do I do now? Because the, that, that future is still scary if I don't know where my place is, you know, in that future. Yeah.
0: I mean, uh, you know, I'd refer you back to, uh, Episode 269 is where I was talking about the belly of the whale. I think, you know, for me, I mean, that's that's the only advice I have because that's my go-to worldview as I go back and ground myself in narrative. I talked about it also. We did a Skillshare live thing on Instagram and um, went deep into my Joseph Campbell thing of, uh, you know, within myth and, and the stories we've always told throughout all time. Like one of the only things that gives us a sense of who we are and and, and, and being okay is our sense of story and our lives as story. And so what I would do is just realize like, what do you do? What do you do when it's a waiting game? What part of the story is that? And, and right now it's a waiting game. And I think one of the things that I've been doing is super deep reflection and I've been using, you know, go to the creative career path episodes. Um, there I I'll put it in the show notes, but there's an episode we did recently and it was titled something like, uh, where should i be spending my creative energy and we go through every seven all seven parts of the creative career path and i've been going i i reviewed that today even of let's get honest with what is my industry market and niche and and that whole process is a deeply reflective process that takes months often um and and then on top of that the other thing i would say is Ask yourself questions about who you want to be. Like I heard someone share this on uh, Facebook. A friend from high school said, you know, as we go back into normal, you know, all of the establishment has every reason to get you back to the same place you were because they were on top before we went into this. And so before you just blindly accept who you used to be, make sure you're only adding back things that. Uh, you're sure about because I feel like everybody's going through this purification process and realize, oh, I didn't need that or, oh, I didn't, you know, or that was actually hurting me more than that part of my routine and habit that was actually destroying me, like being really reflective of what do I want to be on the other side of this? What do I want to bring on the other side of this? What do I want to put back in my life at the other side of this? I think it's a deep time of uh, reflection, getting into who am I, where do I want to go? And I, and, and just realizing, you know, that's one of those things of like, finding your gift and finding who you are and all that. I feel like we've been convinced that that's a thing you do in an afternoon with a career aptitude test in high school. And it's like, but in fact, like Joseph Campbell would argue, the whole damn story is the the act of individuation. It's the act of becoming yourself. And so, yeah, we might be here for 18 months, but worst case scenario, maybe. I don't even want to say it, but uh, that's... I think Joe Joey Cams, as a, as a Pete Holmes would call him, would say, "Yeah, that's a reasonable amount of time to be in the belly of the whale. Like that's that's a, the amount of inner work necessary to get to some of these things. Like you're a you know you're a repressed uh, human who has been uh, in a system that's that was built to repress you. Uh, like a, a few months of reflection is is nothing in the grand scheme of." you're unfolding.
1: I love that. Can I, can I rephrase the belly of the well idea as, as a different analogy that I know you'll love? Because I want to pull on a, th- a pull on a thread of you saying, you know, use this time for self-reflection and figure out who you really are, who you really want to be. And I think that there could be a nice comparison made to the gym, but that's not the analogy I want to use. I want to use the analogy of the hyperbolic time chamber
0: What are you talking about? Dragon Ball Z?
1: Dragon Ball Z. Yes.
0: The gravity chamber.
1: Go in there and you can spend an infinite amount of time training to become who you need to be or who you really want to be. Um, And you can think of this time as your hyperbolic time chamber. Yes, you're in self-isolation. Yes, you're quarantined. But you can spend that time to train.
0: One of my favorite ideas that I ever heard... Uh, I just heard on a podcast with Duncan Trussell, family hour and he was talking to this Zen Buddhist uh, master and he was trying to say that basically life is like a prison and when you you're, you're stuck in this body this and, and The Buddhist teacher said this is basically Buddhism. You're in a prison and you realize that you could roll up your mattress and it actually works as barbell. And this thing is really great for pull-ups and all, and you realize like, okay, I'm in prison, but it's actually a gym. It's, this whole existence is a spiritual gym. And you can see the inmates that get that and the inmates that don't. Like the, the, the people that they're gonna be, look, I just wanna clarify this. I'm not. I'm not shooting. I'm not saying you, this is you have to make it a gym, but the, all I'm saying is if you're if you're listening to this podcast, you want my take on it. This is how I'm thinking about it: is I want to go into this prison and leave with a six pack.
1: It's just a, it's just a strategy for how someone could deal with the fear of the future is to be prepared, right? It is um, it is Terminator Two. It's preparing for the future that's inevitable um, <laughs> for the Terminator to return.
0: And we want, you know, we want you at your best mental state and and to survive this thing however you need to. So there's no shame on that. But there is a, a heck of a, a judo move turning a prison into a gym. And I think that, uh, yeah, I love the hyperbolic ch- chambers even better. This is your gravity chamber. If you don't know, Goku, Dragon Ball Z, he has to go into this uh, like extra gravity, like crazy gravity chamber and train to become a super saiyan. And I think, you know, I do, I hope I go super saiyan after this.
1: <laughs> yeah, everyone. You got super saiyan, Me too. Right? Yes. Okay. Right, so do you want to dive into, to the last bucket? Okay. This one all, all centers around productivity and motivation. Like I know I want to work. I know what I want to be producing. Uh, you know, I have the, that urge to be creative but I'm having a hard time starting or keeping my momentum or actually finishing. What do I do?
0: Yeah. So I, I, uh, a lot of questions came through saying I want to make use of some of this time and this situation, but I'm having a hard time, uh, habitually showing up. And first of all, the first thing I I, I do, I know I've kind of hit on this a little bit, but I want to just camp here for one second. Uh, give yourself some grace. Like, give yourself some grace. I've actively, you know, I've had so many people come through my social channels communicating that message, and it really, you know, is funny. I feel like we often don't think these little messages we put out into the world actually make a difference, but it was those voices in my head that I saw on my feed when I realized like, hmm, I... uh <laughs> I drank on a Wednesday. I had, you know, I had some whiskey on a Wednesday night or I, you know, I broke my diet there. Or I missed my running, like just, you know, little things here and there that are not out that are outside of my norm. Or I didn't, you know, I spent half that day playing animal crossing instead of doing my work, you know, whatever it is. And I, and I think the voice in my head was kinder because of the messages that people have been putting out about, you know, have some grace. Like there, you know, there's this thing of like, uh, you know, it's not about being productive at work while during a pandemic. It's about surviving a pandemic and, and maybe getting some stuff done in this traumatic season. Like it's a, you know, a totally flipped way of thinking about it. And I just want to, before we go into the productivity thing, I just want to acknowledge like when you get, when though and then beyond that, I'll just say, you know, those negative self-talk, there's just all these studies that say it gets short-term results if you're like beating the shit out of yourself mentally, but it doesn't sustain. And so that lack of grace on yourself isn't, you know, I can, I've, you know, I've had family members talking crap about their bodies as a means of getting themselves to get into shape and just, you know, talking crap about themselves. But like the studies are pretty clear, like that short-term can make you maybe skip a meal or whatever, but long-term, it's that self-compassion that really gets you to results. And so if you're beating yourself up about productivity right now, just realize like long-term, which we're gonna be in this for a minute, uh, that's not the best method of success. So that, give yourself some grace.
1: Our heads are in the exact same place. Like I was on the exact same page and I wanted to quote almost the exact same phrase because when Lisa Congdon created a piece of art that said that exact same thing, Grant yourself some grace. Like that re- really resonated with me. Like that was something I needed to hear in the moment, you know, a few weeks ago when she first created that piece and, and shared that message was that we should be granting ourselves. You know, a wide berth of grace, love, and dignity, as she, as she put in her social, social posts. So
0: that was that is one of the ones I was referencing to, and actually, I heard that that day. I really needed that message, so thank you, Lisa. We freaking love you, and uh, and that, yeah. And, and so, anyway, I wanted to start with that because I don't want to get down into the nitty gritty of the hustle uh, and not and not acknowledge that. But uh, I also think it's interesting because. I think this is a hyperbolic hyperbolic is that the chamber hyperbolic time chamber yeah, yeah uh the one one way you can use that chamber is I think it's like perfect setting to start figuring out the upside down nature of creative productivity so like I have this really deep conviction that being productive creatively looks so dramatically different to traditional notions of productivity that it almost looks like the antithesis of productivity and I'll, and I've gone into this uh, a ton in the podcast before, so I'm not going to dive deep into this particular point, so I'll move past it quick. but there's you know you've heard me talk about this a million times, Ryan, the John Cleese open mode versus closed mode. so, Absolutely. Closed mode is traditional productivity. It's like executing its assembly line, pushing the button, Put you know, boop, boop, boop. I got 30, you know, I, uh, how many extra sketches did you make today, buddy? Uh, what's,
1: what's the sound of productivity again?
0: Uh, boop, boop. I don't know. Was that what I was doing? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, but that I love that elf quote. It's one of my favorite, that my favorite thing about Will Ferrell, which I know your wife is not a fan of. I'm getting, I'm ousting her that's publicly. sorry, Tiffany. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but one of I, I love just the way he delivers a line often. And, uh, when he taught, I can't remember the number now of how many etch-a-sketches he makes. He's like, uh, 35. Uh, and, and like the quote is like, well, that's, you know 897 off the pace um so that's traditional productivity and i think that that's cl- that's closed mode execution mode of your brain open mode the only metric you can really uh uh only measure it to is play was how much in the flow state was i in and that's where john cleese would say go into a writing session three hours of writing. The only goal isn't how many pages or a script or whatever. The goal is, was it a blast? If it wasn't a blast, it wasn't productive because I wasn't in the zone. And so for me, this chamber is some, I've been thinking about how do I, you know, I made like, I don't, I didn't tell you this, but I made like seven, uh, t-shirt sketches. Yeah. Like Sunday. And they were all things I was like, just freaking so pumped about. And it was pure, Creative upside down productivity. I was just having a blast. And so I would start thinking about how can you train your brain with these flow state triggers? I'm going to put an article in the show notes about, um, there's 10 triggers for flow state. Um, some of these come from that. Some of these don't. Uh, the first one is, and this didn't come from there, but this is my, one of my favorite things. I do it all the time. It's priming with a synesthetic leap. And the idea here is before I make an illustration, I will prime myself with music that I want my illustration to sound like. And that's the synesthetic leap is that your illustration can't sound like anything unless you're tripping. Um, but, but how do you, if you will, there's some creative space there where you can get into the mindset and the heart by listening to a song and then transferring that energy into a drawing something you know and so actors do this I've, I've I've spoke a little bit on this show about it i want to do a whole episode about it cuz it's really helped me and actually my therapist helped me too about i was talking about how it's hard for me when i'm not out there doing public speaking and seeing people from the audience it's sometimes hard for me to get into the mindset and the heart of this show when i'm talking to a wall and she said you know before you push record Just do a breathing exercise to get back into, you know, drop in, as she would say, uh, to the actual moment. Remember, why am I doing this? And it was this priming exercise that she's talking about. And actors will do it, listening to a song that'll help them get into the mood of the scene. And I like the synesthetic leap is best for me. So like there's something about taking from other mediums that really helps me because it's because there's no copying maybe maybe it's totally egoless I don't I'm not sure what it is but there's something about um yeah taking from other mediums that helps me get in that triggers that flow state does that make sense
1: absolutely so you're saying for you and this may work for others is using this primer as a trigger for your productivity either in opened and closed mode or is it more specifically how you prime yourself and prepare for open mode.
0: It's open mode for me. It's when I'm, you know, if I feel like I'm going to be uh, improvising, performing in a, you know, a sketching phase, or I'm coming up with ideas or uh, recording the podcast or something where there's a performative improvisational Act of creativity, open creativity. I try to. I go and I and I have a list of songs that get me there, and I try not to play them too much because I think we all know like they have an expiration date. Um, same with there's clips from YouTube. There's a long list of clips where before I go into a creative thing, I will soften my heart with just the most random little little thing that I know. Oh, that got me right in that fluid. Heart-driven mode, Um, and I will prime that way, and that's one of my favorite tips. I use that all the time, and it's one of my—it's a secret uh, to to creativity for me.
1: I believe I definitely think we should uh, in the show notes link to that John Cleese interview. I believe with Graham Chapman where he's talking about open-close mode and that experience, but I believe he also mentions that the open can lead to the close mode. So like. Using that itself as the primer to real productivity where you can leverage all these things you created while having fun, while you were your inhibitions were unguarded um, and the floodgate was open, then you can take that into the closed mode where you can actually be productive and act on the things you were able to produce.
0: Yes, and uh, that's really great because uh, Sarah Walsh, when she was on this podcast, we dove deep into how she uses procrastination for productivity so if she's feeling like i cannot possibly make anything today she'll let herself cheat in her sub in her sketchbook and she'll make a little thing for instagram that's just she'll just paint in her sketchbook something anything that she feels like painting and there's just some especially if you have adhd or something there's something about the act of getting started the act of sitting at your desk is so overwhelming that if you'll allow allow yourself a, a cheat half an hour now you're already sat at your desk and now you can take care of that email or that, you know, whatever. Um, so I love that. I think the, yeah, the open mode can lead to the closed mode where you're actually executing on some tasks that are just pure productivity. All right. That wraps up another Ask Dr. Pizza. Thanks to Ryan Appleton for making this happen. Hey! Huge thanks to Nicole Fisher. She just became a Patreon backer of the show. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you. We see you. We appreciate you. We need you. You're amazing. Uh, if you want to go back the podcast financially, go to Patreon.com/slash Creative Pep Talk. Uh, also, if you want to help the show or you wanna uh, you wanna give back in some way, one of the easiest Ways that only cost you a few minutes is to open Apple Podcasts app either on desktop or on your phone and go rate and review, write a review for the show. We see all of those reviews. You can' uh, I'll, I'll read one of them now that I thought was really special. The title is my favorite podcast, so sweet. And it's by AMC. No, it's a McCoy. 1347, and it says, The podcast has been a lifesaver. After graduating college and moving out of LA to a rural city, my artistic motivation just died along with my support system. While I haven't been able to create the same community I used to have, this podcast kept my head in the right space and kept me moving ahead. Andy's positivity is absolutely infectious, and yet he is such a realist and provides real life advice for creatives. I'm so thankful for his consistency and encouragement and while also speaking hard truth, highly recommend the show. So lovely. What a lovely review. Really appreciate it. Really appreciate also the the, the noticing of the consistency. Um, you know, getting an episode out every week is a challenge that I take seriously and, and you know, I take a lot of uh, 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 pleasure in showing up on a consistent basis but it does cost things and it is a lot of it, it's a challenging endeavor and so um you know I really appreciate that feedback if you want to give back to the show in even just a small way with a little bit of your time open the podcast app Apple Podcasts rate and review the show for some reason or another that makes a huge difference on whether people can find this show so if you've never done it and you're a huge fan of the show please go check that out thank you so much Huge thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Thanks to Alex Sugg for our soundtrack. And until we speak again, stay pepped up.